I like volatility. I like some measure of volatility. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like volatility is it breaks the status quo. From losing his job to billion-dollar banking clients, on today's How-To Business Show, we sit down with John Thurman. We talk everything from the looming recession to financing bourbon startups and what it means to put it all on the line to start a small business. John is the market president for the greater Louisville area for Truist Bank, an entrepreneur and a small business owner, and an all-around phenomenal guy. So let's throw it over to our conversation with who we can officially say is a friend of the program and one of our more insightful conversations yet, here is John Thurman. All right. Welcome to the show, Mr. John Thurman, the market president for Greater Louisville for Truist Bank and the owner of Fast Fix Jewelry. Would that be your position? That's correct. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So never done a podcast before, correct? First time. Awesome. Awesome. Well, what we like to do with our guests is just Give us a little bit of background on how you got to that position of market president for Greater Louisville. Go as far back as the story dictates. Oh, great. Well, uh, I'll tell you, it started like a lot of things, I suppose, um, with difficulty. I was in the insurance world here in Louisville with Agon, and they eliminated my position. It was an interesting time. I had two sons in private school probably in my early 40s, and um, I was a sole breadwinner at that time. But I was also the Boy Scout leader for Southeast Christian Church. And one of my associates there introduced me to a banker. I didn't, I didn't really know what bankers did at the time, kind of commercial bankers. And so I went over and visited with them. I thought they were going to ask me to be... Uh, a guy that approves loans, and I knew I was going to be bored to death if that was the case, and that wasn't going to work, but they actually invited me into a sales role. And so it began, and uh, I spent many years with that bank uh, learning banking. And and what I really have taken away from that, everybody, it's two parts. The good news is everybody needs a bank. The bad news is everybody has a bank. It's a replacement business, mm-hmm. much like insurance. It's often a replacement business. So that's how it got started, <clears throat> and uh, I, I loved it. Uh, I love helping companies, helping them get better, and uh, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in a great place to do that. Yeah, and I saw you have the CPA and the MBA. Did you already have those designations before You know, the insurance thing? You lost your job, or was that like came after as you got into the banking business? Those were already in place, and what was interesting is the, the banks really liked that because the people on the other side of the table from me typically are CFOs, VPs of finance. They're the financial decision makers and often the owners of the business. And when I say business, we're talking businesses that revenue annually, minimally $25 million, uh, up to a couple of billion typically. And uh, so generally there's a, there's a lot of financial sophistication. Mm-hmm. And when they saw my CPA background, I started in public accounting and then went back to night school and got my MBA. Uh, they liked that because they knew I understood what it was like to be on the other side of the table. I understood the folks that I was going to be talking to. 
And um, I follow several little mantras in my own career. And one of them is, and one of the guidances I, I give to my team is, you don't have to sell anything. You don't have to sell it. You just have to tell it. Mm-hmm. And if you're adding value and you're delivering it with competency, the customer will, will pull it away from you. They'll, they'll pull the sale forward. And certainly, you, you, we're here to, at the end of the day, sell our product, be your bank, be, provide treasury service, all the many things we can do. But really, ultimately, we're just here to help people be better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love that because I think there's such a distinction between being in a business where you're offering a service and interacting with people between, you know, this is just a relationship where I'm trying to sell you on something and people can see right through that to where hey, I'm a person, this is what I do. Let me learn about you and see where we can connect. So you walk that line, it sounds like, just bluntly with this is what we can do, this is the value we offer. That's exactly right. And I will tell clients, um, we can make you better. And I will tell them, you know, my supposition always is they want to be in their business. If you're manufacturing car parts, then that's the business you've chosen to be in. If you wanted to be a banker, guess what? You'd probably be a banker. So my guidance always is, hey, team, let's make it easy for the customer to be our customer. Number one, get rid of the jargon, okay? I'm sure everybody went to Center College and you got a great education and we're real impressed with that. Now, break it down where somebody can understand what you're talking about and we can advance the conversation. Uh, And then you know, as we begin to do that, you build relationship with people. At the end of the day, it's about credibility. In our business, there is absolutely no lack of competition. You might notice there's a bank virtually on every corner. Yeah. And I, I like that you mentioned that about jargon, just because I, I feel like a lot of companies, they'll use some crazy jargon in their sales pitches, which just creates intimidation rather than, you know, any type of progressive sales tactic because people are trying to figure out and understand what the hell you're even saying. Thank you. And uh, that you're right on. And even yesterday, as an example, we had an internal email and they used an acronym. Nobody knew what in the world it was. Uh, and we thought it was a mistake. And so there are three of us with this circular email debate going on does this guy know what he's talking about? Do, do we know what he's talking? I'm like, dude, hey, how about you just say what you mean, mean what you say, and keep it simple, mm-hmm. and maybe we can get our jobs done. Exactly. What are some specific services that maybe your team offers on top of the traditional banking lines and then maybe diving deep into just the economics or business models of Truist or banking in general? Oh, great question. Yeah, so you're you're right. Uh, there there are plenty of banks. What one of the things that differentiates us is how we go to market, and we call it business lifecycle advisory. Our goal is for the banker to come alongside the company and effectively partner with them. Any time a company touches money, you probably need a bank involved. Clearly, in, when you borrow money and when you deposit money, those are pretty pretty basic examples. But how about when you sell overseas, when you're selling in a different currency? Oh, now we have foreign currency exchange involved. Okay. Um, how about um, how about when the owners? We deal with a number of companies that are 
third, fourth generation. Well, you know what happens to the, to the first, second, and third generations? They usually accumulate wealth, right? We're free enterprise, for-profit, capitalism. It's a good thing. It works. And what do they do with that wealth? We help them, we help them manage it on a personal level. So we, we bank the company and we bank the employees. <clears throat> um, and, and one of the ways we, again, on the company side is, is figuring out where they're at in their journey and trying to be relevant in our advice. So let's say you have a new company. How do you treat newer companies versus the, uh, the companies that have been banking with you for three or four generations? Is there much difference? Uh, if I have a new company or someone I think is going to be a new client, and look, we're all about growing our business. Mm-hmm. So they get the flowers, the chocolate, the cards with the little hearts in them that say, I love you and can't live without you. Uh, and please come over here and give us your business. Uh, we court companies, there's no question. And and it's kind of cool the way we court new companies. And we court existing companies, too. Um, it's you, you know, it's a situation where you try not to love one kid better than the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but companies are like people, and they're, of course, comprised of people. They engage you at different levels. Some, some companies just want kind of a basic service. Just take care of us and don't really necessarily need to hear from you too often. Okay, however you want it. You want the plain hamburger? Then we'll save all the goodies for somebody else's hamburger. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I would say most often those who engage us uh, best benefit most because – we really end up educating clients along the way on some of the amazing things we can do to make their businesses, frankly, more profitable. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. We've got a new company. If I gave you the name, you would know they're um, very prominent in Louisville, and we're hoping to bring them on even as we speak. I hope it's a nice Christmas gift for our team. Um, and they've asked us, hey, can you take care of our core banking services? And what would that look like? Well, yes, of course. And here's what it looks like. But we said also, guys, based on the information you've shared with us, and, and they share everything with us. We see their financials. We see everything that's going on in the company. That's where that CPA, MBA thing comes in handy. And we said, here's four other recommendations on how we can make you better. Here's four areas we ought to just look into. Maybe these things are perfect right now, and you're getting the best market execution there is, and you're getting great service. But uh, if I had to bet, I'd say maybe not in some of these cases. So why don't we just take a fresh look at these areas because there's only upside for the company. And, and let me tell you guys, when you start improving someone's profitability, mm-hmm. uh, that really accelerates the race relationship quickly, of course. Yeah, big time. I have kind of like a, a broader question going into the Louisville market. So how do you see the Louisville market, you know, reacting or treating these kind of volatile macroeconomic conditions just with, you know, rates rising and whatnot and everyone's talking about recession. How do you see the Louisville market reacting and do you think they're doing a good job or a bad job or what should they be doing in your opinion? A great question. Um, It varies. I would tell you generally I like volatility. I like some measure of volatility. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like volatility is it breaks the status quo. It's a catalyst. Mm-hmm. 
It's a catalyst for conversation. We've got solutions for you. If interest rates are rising, we can, we can help you with that. If you're worried that you don't have enough dry powder in your line of credit, obviously we can help you with that. Whatever you're worried about, we probably can help you formulate a go-forward strategy. And so volatility often causes people to come to the table and even ask themselves, then their banker, are we in the right position here for what we think is coming? Interest rates have risen precipitously here. What we've done is create classic inflation. When you expand the money supply uh, as rapidly as we did during the coronavirus workout, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have done that. Clearly, those were unprecedented challenges, and they demanded a response. But this is classic inflation, and it's, it's problematic for a lot of our clients. They're seeing their input cost, meaning their materials, go up faster than they can raise prices. They're seeing labor, if they can get adequate labor, most cannot go up faster than they can raise prices. So how are companies responding? Uh, It's kind of choppy out there. There's a lot of headwinds. It's difficult. We may not have everybody make it through to, you know, to the sunnier days. One thing that's uh, been interesting, and Cal and I, we've been doing research and working on a couple projects that have led us to discover data discussing business owners and what the profile of them looks like. And right now, a lot of the business owners and middle market and small market companies are owned by baby boomers, which are about 10,000 new retirees every day. And banking, how do you, when, when someone's ready to close down their company or you know, ready to liquidate. How do you guys, do you guys help them with that? Um, what does that process look like? Well, you have been doing some research and I commend you. And that's a great question. We love business transition. And and that's back to the business life cycle advisory. Mm-hmm. Businesses have a lot. They're born. They hopefully grow. Often they reach maturity or plateau. And then they think about, okay, what's the next, next act? Is it, is it a new product? Is it what, what, what are we going to do here? And they come to a point as well where the founders or whatever generation is in charge says, I've had a great run. It's time to hand the keys to the kids. And we love that as a bank because we finance that transaction. Handing the keys to the kids often means getting a payday mm-hmm. for the value of the company and the value of what we've built. And that's a, what we call a leverage transaction. So we'll we'll loan them the money for the, basically the kids to pay out the previous generation. Interesting. What if there are no kids? Ah, another great question. We'll we'll take your company to market. It's called it's called investment banking. So there's a market for virtually everything, guys, as you know, mm-hmm. and including companies. We can come in, value your company. What's this thing worth? Well, well, we'll we'll show you what it's worth, and it's a range, right? It's not a single number typically. It's a range, but we'll say, you know, here's based on the performance characteristics of the business and the characteristics of your marketplace. Here's what we think we can sell this thing for, and that sometimes is fun, and sometimes it's not fun mm-hmm. because you then begin dealing with you know th- th- uh, e- egos. And it's not always a rational business decision. And sometimes you got to be a little careful 
to not call somebody's baby ugly? Well, I think it's companies usually trade or sell for a multiple of their earnings that we call we call EBITDA, but let's just call it earnings because um, we agreed we're not going to use jargon here. Um, and if we think your company is worth six times its earnings and you think it's worth 10, you're probably not going to engage us to sell your company. Now, somebody's right and somebody's wrong because the market always will tell you where equilibrium is, right? And you remember from economics, equilibrium is where some supply and demand hit a strike price. But uh, so it's kind of fun because there's the economic side of the thing, and we can certainly show you what comparable transactions have looked like and what the last manufacturing company we sold went for and so forth. But then there's the human side of it, too, that always has to be navigated. Yeah, we, so Cal and I's background, we do a little, we're commercial real estate agents, but we do a little bit of business brokerage, and we've been helping business brokers with their financial analysis and valuation. And one of the biggest things we see is what we call the 5X fallacy. You got a business owner come in, and they're like, my business is worth 5X. And because my friend at the country club sold his for 5X, and it's, it's always, like you said, ego, you're either, there's those business owners who have a, deflated ego and they're like wow my business is worth this much and then you have the inflated ego and they're like no no that's not 5x like my buddy sold it for and so navigating that is a tricky topic and uh, we ultimately look at the value as a business of a business as a function some sort of function of financial performance business quality which most people don't think about and then also potential buyer interest because you got a variety of buyers always looking at your business willing to pay more or less and so that's kind of how we navigate and explain to business owners, you know, without hurting their ego too much. Just give them the options of if you want this much, it's going to be hard to find a buyer. If you want this much, it'll be easy to find a buyer. Like you said, I, I think it, a lot of it comes down to education mm-hmm. and just having the conversation, being able to navigate that personal side. Um, so that that's really cool that, you know, there's all kinds of lines, it sounds like, within Truist. And I'm curious, as you're at your position, what does your day-to-day look like across these different fields? Because it seems like there's so many options and things you could be doing. Are you primarily talking to customers? Are you talking to your internal team? You know, what, what does that look like for you? I've got a wonderful job, and it's a tremendous amount of fun. I think the single biggest thing I enjoy most, and and this really is day-to-day, is the access to the community that I enjoy. You know, we're the seventh biggest bank in the country. So there's, there's four Wall Street banks, and then in that second tier is, is Truist at about $550 billion in assets, wow. and, and we have remarkable resources, amazing capabilities, 50,000 employees. Um, and, and so to represent that is really a treat for me. And I get to, I get to, for example, uh, do some cool things. This week I uh, was able to announce with Goodwill Industries our gift from the Truist Foundation of $500,000. They're building their opportunity campus, which is going to be transformative to West Louisville. Mm-hmm. And we contributed 500000 to that. And <clears throat> in addition, we uh, contributed to Norton Healthcare 
so they could buy medical equipment. They're going to build the first hospital that's been constructed in 150 years in the West End. Wow, that's amazing. 150 years. Jeez. Uh, and then we also gave a grant to uh, the fine folks at the YMCA of Greater Louisville who are going to put a daycare center. All of this is, is supporting this Opportunity Campus at 28th and Broadway. And, and I kind of got to play Santa Claus in July here for a, a few minutes. And and it's, you know, Louisville's my hometown. It's my family's hometown. We got a lot of history here. And uh, to be in a place to, I'll say, leave that kind of legacy, have that kind of impact, it's not all me. In fact, it's very little me. But I'm the guy that kind of gets to tell the story. That's great. And it's a lot of fun. Is that a route you've always wanted to take, or did you just find yourself there? You know, it, it kind of was waiting for me when I got here and took the job because we have a foundation, and it's totally apart from the bank. It's, it's apart from the bank. It's it's the way that the bank has chosen to give back to the communities in which we live and work and serve, and to to, to be able to sponsor these kind of projects at this kind of financial level mm-hmm. is remarkable. Uh, but but we also give of our time. We took a team down to Dare to Care a couple of weeks ago, and we peeled 200 pounds of carrots. And and we heard stories about f- people being food insecure right here in Louisville. I mean, children that, when they're not in school, don't have food to eat. It breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. And and it breaks a lot of hearts. And, and there are a lot of good hands and, that have joined the cause to try and close that gap and correct that issue. So that part of it is just terrific. The core of it for me in my day-to-day activity and job is being with companies because, I, again, I know we can make companies better. Now, not everybody wants to be better. They're busy being exactly where they are. I get it. I'm busy too. That's okay. But when you come to those crossroads and you're scratching your head and you're wondering, are we taking advantage of everything we could be or should be. Markets move quickly. Products change and and things evolve faster now perhaps than ever before because of technology and and other factors. And so when when we can get in front of a company and deploy our resources and be at our best, uh, we usually do a really, really good job and they are thrilled and benefit. And all of that supports a healthy community you've got companies that are winning therefore their employees are winning and you got families that have a hope and a future and feel good about life and you're creating stability that to me is a win-win-win yeah that's awesome those those triple win situations those are few and far between but when they can happen it, it it feels better than just making a paycheck whether you make a paycheck or not just being able to have all parties winning is a paycheck in itself I'll sometimes be driving down the road and a truck will pass some logo on the side of it. My wife will be with us. I bank them, honey. (laughs) 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 We'll, we'll drive past a store or restaurant. Yeah. Them too. (laughs) How, uh, so you're obviously a master networker of sorts. Um, one thing that we've been fiddling around with is just as, transaction people we want to represent business owners and transactions as well as real estate owners we've taken the time to walk into some of the businesses around here and just talk to them is that a good tactic have you seen success with that how often do you are you doing that 
type of thing? I'm, uh, I don't do a lot of cold calling, so to speak. Um, and look, if it works for you, go with it is the first <laughs> thing I would say, right? Be you, do you. Uh, and if you're getting a reception, you certainly should know your neighbors and the folks in the neighborhood. But I am, I am a big advocate of networking. Uh, my job here, and I tell the team this every day, is to raise awareness to raise the purple flag. That's why I thank you again for the invitation to come be with you guys today. Uh, it's great to tell the story because we've got a great story to tell. If it wasn't a great story to tell, you know what? I'd be somewhere else telling another story. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think there's a lot going on all the time. There's all kinds of business networks. And I tell people that many times are frustrated with where they're at in their careers. It's a great big world out there filled with untold opportunity. Lift your chin and start looking around and see what's out there. Just like the invitation to come here. We were at Thanksgiving dinner and I got recruited, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, and Tanner did a great job. And, and I thought that's smart because networking is nothing more than initiating relationships mm -hmm. or advancing relationships. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's how this came to be this episode, because we were just chatting at Thanksgiving, talking about what each other are doing in business. And you had just kept talking about the way you keep up with clients. You, I think you would send them a funny meme or something. And I just thought, you know, yeah. we just definitely align on the philosophy of build the relationship and, and see where it goes as opposed to have a direct end in mind when working with people, because people have so much more to offer than what you think on face value. So we've seen that so many times in our business being in real estate, business brokers, we are just astounded at where the opportunities come from. It, it's, it's really fun to see. So I'm, I've, it sounds like you've experienced the same thing. I have, and I would tell you, uh, one of the things most consistently that I've gotten in terms of feedback and, and really believe to be true, success begets success. Positive energy is almost always received well you got to understand how to read your audience and you don't want to overwhelm people. But I've always been a passionate guy. I love what I do. Why wouldn't you love what you do? You only get to do what you're doing, you know, one thing at a time. Uh, and if you ain't loving it, maybe you're not in the right place. Maybe you're not in your highest and best calling. And that's where I go back to. It is a great big world out there. One of the things that has driven me guys pretty, very personal actually. And I, in my self-talk, I refuse to be held back by the fear of failure. And your own fear of failure? Yeah. Specifically? That's yeah. right. Whether it's, whether it's taking a new job, like the market president, or it's starting a business, like the, the jewelry business that our family has, or anything else. I mean, you evaluate it. Um, you, you certainly weigh it out and try and make informed, intelligent decisions. Uh, there's an old song I like. Uh, I'm a man of faith, and it and the line says, uh, you know, do your best, pray that it's blessed, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Really, at some point, that's kind of what it gets down to. But I want to start with do my best, mm -hmm. and um, and and my best is not being afraid of the unknown or afraid of the results or afraid that I, I won't be an overwhelming success. 
I'm an overwhelming success when I choose to be an overwhelming success, and so are you, because whatever your experience in life is, you're going to learn something from it. You're going to build on it. I told you at the beginning, how did I get in banking? I got fired. I got laid off at the worst possible time, I thought. I was unhappy about that. Let me be clear. Unhappy. I was between jobs for 10 months. But out of that have come some enduring relationships and, frankly, a lot of grit that I had to reach down inside and find. And, um, and that determination has served, me, has served me very well. Would you say that if it hadn't been for being fired, you wouldn't be where you are? Do you think that was kind of a, a twisting point that while in the moment it, it sucked, it ultimately led you to where you are today? It really has been part of the foundation and part of the journey because what's interesting, that's been happily many years ago now, that's why we started the jewelry business, right? My brother and I looked at each other and said, yeah, sure, we're a couple of Kentucky hillbillies. Why not us? We saw plenty of people around us that had started businesses and, and done well. And uh, he's the jeweler. I, I'm just, you know, I'm the finance guy. Mm-hmm. So we put our stuff together and said, let's go for it. Now, what's really cool, guys in my banking career, I'm able to use that experience a lot because un- unlike many of my competitors, I can look at clients and prospects and say, I've been in your chair. I've taken that risk. I hit, I hit payroll every week. I've got families that depend on this business. I've signed personal guarantees. That means the bank comes and gets my house if I don't pay them back. Those are kind of sobering moments. And, um, Uh, So it put me in a place, as adversity often will, to be a man with an experience, not simply a man with an argument. Mm -hmm. And I I sell the fire out of that, guys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. How would would you contrast the, the differences in being a small business owner as well as a big corporate guy? It's a great contrast. Small business is what has made America and, and continues to make America great. You guys know that. I mean, big corporations are they're fantastic, and they can do fantastic things. We need them both. But I, uh, I love small business because you're so nimble, and you can do what you want. I like being the boss. I like making decisions. I like, you know what, if I want to pay somebody a Christmas bonus, this is what we're paying them. Right? or anything else we want to do. Um, that's good. I love, I, I, I used to go in our stores. I don't do that much anymore. We've got four stores here in Louisville because uh, I would always kind of get us in tr- a little trouble. <laughs> I don't I don't know what I'm doing behind the counter. But I'd talk sure, to customers. you can have a discount. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd talk to customers. I mean, sometimes it would be so busy, right? I just would go in there and try and help direct traffic. People are, would, would just be pouring through the doors on the weekends, particularly wanting their watch batteries or their ring sized or something. And, um, and I could fetch jobs that were complete. I couldn't even bring them up. You know, they didn't, they didn't know that, but you know, I just, I'm, and I know the staff are like, John, you're just taking up space, man. And you're in the way, but I loved the interaction with the clients and I, I, lo- I loved helping people, helping make them better. And I can do that in the small business world or the large corporate world that, fundamentally is our reason to be is to 
to serve others and make them better. What have the uh, dynamics of going into business with family been like for you? It's really been interesting. Um, my, my brother and I started this business 17 years ago. And we're, we're quite different. Uh, we're, we're wired different. He, he's a brilliant jeweler and a brilliant guy. He really is. Um, I'm more, I'm more practical, right? I'm, I got more of that accounting mindset. He's more of the artist. And so stylistically, I think we're complimentary. We never ran over each other. Uh, as I shared with you, I couldn't even ring you up. I for sure can't fix your stuff. Um, but he's can't do the things that I've provided along the years. When it, what's been interesting when it came to major decisions, should we, shouldn't we, you know, it's never static. Do we add stores? Do we add staff? How do we grow this thing? Our rule has been, if we're not in agreement, we don't do it. If we don't both feel good about the direction, then we wait, we wait. If we feel good about the direction uh, and we're in agreement on it, uh, then we proceed. Even if it's a little scary or a little unknown, I'm always, always, and I hope you are too, willing to bet on myself. Now, was this like a, a spoken rule you guys came to or just kind of how the business ended up shaping like, okay, if we don't, if we don't both agree, it's, it's not going to happen. It kind of evolved, Tanner, it, it, through practice, uh, because there are, there are a lot of decisions that have to be made in a business. As you know, many of them seemingly inconsequential, smaller ones. And of course, there, there are those that are more substantial along the way. And um, it really kind of evolved, particularly the obviously the ones more substantial, um, where we kind of recognize, gee, you know, this this is actually working pretty good. We we think it's kind of a DNA thing, you know, because we arrive at the we do arrive certainly probably from different starting points, but we often arrive at the same conclusion and can quickly find agreement. I know that's not always the way, particularly when there's uh, just. Just there are two of us that own it now, and um, uh, I did take fifty one percent just in case this didn't work out quite this way. So, uh, but I've never had to play that card. So now, <laughs> um, now we're second generation with it. My son mm-hmm. is running it. My niece are running it. They've got great ideas on where they're going to take it, how That's they're going to blow it up on social media. And um, I'm sure they'd love to come in here and tell you all about that, too. Yeah, we'd love like to yeah. have them. Yeah, what is that designation that Jesse has now? Yeah, he's a gemologist. He's called a graduate gemologist. And uh, he can talk to you about gemstones and the earth and how they're produced and how they come to market for days. Um, yeah, it's it's really kind of a fascinating business. What got you into the jewelry business? Was it just because your brother had the background experience or was there something else? That, no, that, that was it. He was in a place working for someone else, not treated particularly well. I mean, it was okay, but uh, he had a, a desire for more. And after, after I'd lost my job, turns out I did too. Uh, it, and, and so we put our heads together. My, my goal at one time was to own multiple businesses, I kind of wanted my own little family office. I love business. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. And uh, 
and that that was an aspiration for me. Uh, this th- this one has has been a great e- educational experience. So Dollar General used to be a client for me, and uh, I would I would tell them, hey, look, the only They've got like 20,000 stores. I said, the only difference between me and you guys is scale. <laughs> it's a lot of scale. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> They're, you know, but, uh, but, but, you know, really, in some ways, that's, that's true. The functions are largely the same. Yep. They're, they're, they're a little more sophisticated, but I made my point. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this. I mean, you said you love your job. You love what you do in both the, the corporate life and the small business ownership. What do you think comes first for you? Are you, do you do the work and you do it passionately or are you just passionate about this stuff and it's turned into your work? Does that kind of make sense what I'm getting at? Yeah. Um, I love the banking world. Um, I say it this way. We do capitalism. That's what I do at the bank. I do capitalism. And by the way, uh, a little worried about the future of uh, the understanding of what capitalism is. In my estimation, it's created the greatest freedom and the greatest standard of living the world has ever known. That view doesn't seem to be shared universally these days. It's not a perfect system. But it is a fantastic system where a person can invest their time, talent, resource, God-given ability, and enjoy the fruit of their labor. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hard-pressed to see where the problem is. And so, yeah, being at a bank with, like, Truist, with the incredible resources and team that we have, it's not just money resources, it's talent resources. Mm-hmm. Good, smart, capable people. Um, and we get to deploy all that. I, I love it. I, I just absolutely love it. Last week, every day I was with a client or a prospect talking about their business. And that's cool because in every business, there's stuff that's going well, things they're happy about. And then there's the short list of headaches that we got to figure out how to solve this stuff. And, our job is to help figure out how they can solve that stuff too. And I can, I see that being extremely valuable for business owners because most of them can't even go home and talk about their headaches at business. You know what I mean? They don't have someone to listen to almost like a therapist. And it, that sounds like how Truist has been able to have so much success is filling that need. Well, that you're exactly right. And that's where that partnering mindset and that business life cycle advisory, I'll tell clients, you know what, I'm not here just to make you a loan that's a little bit cheaper than the last loan you got. Can we do that? Sure. Does it bore me to death? Yes. Is it high value? Never. Um, I'm here to partner with you because think about this, guys. We have thousands of clients. So there's a good chance that what you're experiencing we have many, many other clients that have or, or are currently experiencing the same things. And so we can draw upon that resource to benefit others. And that's hugely valuable. And you're right. Spouses get tired of hearing about work. <laughs> 
Um, kind of going off what you had previously said, I read in, I think it was the Louisville Business Journal, there was like a 20 executives to know, I think it was released in the beginning of December. And you had said, it was just like a one word answer, what's the biggest problem you're facing? And that's talent acquisition in a really competitive market. How have you managed this problem? It's a, it is a problem. Um, one of the things that we're doing, for, I'll go back to that we're doing for Louisville is supporting the Goodwill Opportunity Campus with the truest triple play. I described that to you where we made three different grants. And triple play. The, the, the end game of that is to lift people out of poverty, a, a hand up, not a handout, as they say, but to get them into the workforce, to pull people back into the workforce. Our clients, and I hear this every week, need, need help at all levels from, you know, frontline workers all the way up to senior executives. So that is going to be promises to be one huge infusion as that thing comes online, the Opportunity Campus gets people going. Personally, uh, at the bank, we have open jobs. And sometimes they stay open for a good long time. It's no secret. I mean, retail banking, it's a struggle for every bank now. And the reason is because guys like you and guys like me – do it all on their phone now. Yep. And we got a lot of brick and mortar sitting out there. And and so there's a transition and it's finding a foot, but it's finding that right balance. It's not that we don't need branches, but they um uh they are being transformed. Um and so finding finding people is really very it, it remains difficult. And it's probably gonna stay difficult for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm at the uh, tail end of the baby boomers. The, they tell me the greatest generation <laughs> in all of world history. I don't know if it's true or not. That's just what they tell it's me. It's just what so they're saying. Yeah, so just, far. It's what I hear. So far. So far. So far. I'm sure that will be challenged in time. I think time. there's been a couple studies. <laughs> <laughs> that the baby boomers paid for and underwrote. Uh, and conducted. And conducted. <laughs> uh, and so... That's a group that spans about twenty years. Well, the the front end of those boomers are, are retiring. We knew it was coming. I mean, it's the rat and the snake. I mean, it's a big slug, and there and and what happened in COVID is they they began to exit even sooner than expected. Hey, I'm close enough. Kind of like hanging out in my Batman pajamas. I think I'll just keep doing this. Um, and so. Of course, automation helps, but it's not going to be a complete panacea. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it will be a standing challenge for a while. So getting getting out in the community, you know, doing good attracts people, just, you know, networking. Once you have people, talk about, you know, retaining talent. I mean, you, you kind of, just from my limited experience, I can feel the fuel that you inspire in, in others. So I think you'd be a great person to work with, work for. Um, maybe just go about your personal leadership style. How do you keep people motivated? Yeah, um, great. Thank you. That's very kind. Um, my personal goal is pretty simple. I, I'm a middle-class kid from Highview, Kentucky. Guys, God has poured the blessing on me over and over and over again. I've been able to do and see and have. I could never have dreamed of the life I've enjoyed. 
And from that, I, I have a personal goal of sh- paying it forward, sharing that with others, growing others. I get up every day and I think about my team. How can I challenge, grow, st- feed, stretch them? One of the things I do this, this morning is a little bit of an exception by, by design. I rarely go anywhere by myself. I usually take one of my colleagues or more with me because I want them to feel what I feel. I want them to share what I get to share and, and meet the incredible people that I get to spend a lot of time with. And I find that folks really respond well to that. First of all, you're imbuing them with some dignity, mm-hmm. right? You're a man, you're a woman, you're a professional I view you as a colleague and somebody that I want to invest in. I'm investing in you. And that's been a big challenge right now with back to work. A lot of employers still aren't fully back to work. And, and it's that proximity thing. It's cool to come in here and sit around a table and have a conversation with you guys. But if we're all at home, it's not nearly as cool. Mm-hmm. So that's been, a, that's, been a, that's been an impediment. Uh, but, you know, that's changing slowly, coming back. But two and a half years of that. Well, if you're early career and you've spent two and a half years at home doing web meetings, uh, your your growth has been a little bit stunted, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. And I, I kind of want to go back to uh, you're mentioning talent acquisition and how that's a, it's difficult to, you know, attract talent and keep them um, in today's market. And then also understanding the work you guys are doing in the West End. Um, I've noticed there's a lot of projects going on in the West End, and I'm very excited that big companies are backing these. And I think, uh, I guess I, I, my question is, it, are big companies doing this because they realize that that's going to be their new talent acquisition? Or at least, like you said, if you can bless them, they'll likely, you know, maybe work for you or be able to put them in a position where they can get a better job. Is that kind of the, the theory that's driving those kind of projects? I think it is. And a, a lot of, a lot of big companies have giving campaigns. They have community support. It, it's, um, it's a priority for many, even medium and sized companies to be able to give back, which is great to see. Right, because the circle really is round. I mean, at some point in our lives, we've all benefited from someone else's work, someone else's help. Someone, I was a young guy once too, early in my career, wide-eyed, plenty of aspirations, knew I wanted to do something, and you know, there were a handful of people along the way that said, "Why don't you come this way? Why don't you try this?" Um, and, and 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 so companies, yeah, they they know it's important to give back to the community. Um, and it, it creates visibility for them. I don't know that's necessarily, you know, they do, it, it certainly generates, I'm sure, business at some level for them, but fundamentally it's just a good thing, mm-hmm. and many are committed to it. I mean, for, for example, you guys I'm sure know this, but the Parklands that Louisville built out here a few years ago uh, essentially was Humana money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... What a fabulous asset and resource for this community, uh, uh, and so things like that are just, just, just outstanding. I, I call that making the economic pie bigger. 
you know, capitalism at play, it's not about, you know, dividing the pie equally, you know, because then the pie gets smaller. You make the pie as big as possible, and then more people can get slices. Um, I love it. That's right. It's right on. And, and we've been really inspired by the push. Uh, we're aspiring real estate developers and own some land in the West End, but we've been really inspired by the realization that if the West End of Louisville stays the way it is, it's not going to be good for the future of the city. We could probably end up like more like Detroit, which is a great city, but it's huge and has a huge number of problems that have only grown as it's grown. And looking at Louisville, especially where it is now, it's like it could almost go towards the Nashville route or Detroit route, especially with all these businesses coming in. But it truly does take private industry to build up and improve a community because the government can only do so much. And I think Louisville's been lacking that over the past 30 years. There was a couple big families that controlled everything and um, definitely stunted Louisville's growth, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Uh, I've certainly heard that story more than once. And uh, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time in Nashville along the way and really was was down there when its growth began to take off. And, and, and look, one of the things Louisville has complained about for years is the brain drain, mm-hmm. right? Guys like you going to another city they perceive to be a little cooler. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's a problem. That's a real problem. We got we to gotta put a stopper in the drain for sure. Uh, I agree with you. My view here is pretty simple. One city. Um, we're one community. We're, we're one city, and together we win. It is not good to be polarized uh, it, politically or in any other way. That doesn't mean we're all the same and we all you know, ha- have to uh, live in the same village and whatever. Um, it, it just means that we do what we can to help our friends and neighbors. Um, and there is clear and evident need in, in many parts of, of the city. And you can't solve everything all at once, but you can't put resource on it and begin just like an investment. Well, let's, let's put 100 bucks in every week and see what this baby can grow to. And over time, you can make change. Yep. On a macro level in the city, is it true that we're having a lot of businesses from outside the state move in? Is that a trend that's actually occurring? There are some big things happening economically in 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 the in the region, really. But yes, uh, and look, one of the huge drivers here, and I'm so grateful. I mean, companies like UPS, they've brought fantastic jobs here for years. That was the that was my college job. I was a box jockey. That wasn't their term, but it is mine. Um, I think the majority of Louisville. Natives have worked at UPS <laughs> at some point. I did my stint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you did. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they, they've all earned their box jockey merit badge. <laughs> I, I'd say it'd be pretty fair to say that 20% of the working 20-year-olds in Louisville are at UPS right now. Yeah. Pushing boxes for the next two weeks straight because that's what they do right now. You know that's right. It's a it's peak season, uh-huh. baby. We all know what that means. Uh They've been. They're investing right now. I think it's four hundred million dollars uh, in in additional facilities here, um, and uh, for on the aircraft side for trainers and and um, that's that big hangar sim- they're building, right? Yeah, flight, flight simulator. Yep, flight, flight simulator. That's right. Which is which is fantastic, right? Yeah. It's marvelous. Ford, uh, south of here, you know, Glendale is 
is building uh, out the biggest economic development win in the history of Kentucky right now, almost $6 billion, 5,000 jobs. Well, and you say, well, gosh, that's Glendale. Yes, it is. But we have clients that are supporting that. It's a food chain, see. And we have clients that are providing materials and um, equipment to that thing, and some of them are into the biggest contracts their companies have ever seen. So there are good things going on here. In, in, in my mind, um, there's an inflection point with, with some of this where you, and I was in Nashville when, I, when Nashville hit it, and uh, success attracts success. And uh, Nashville has done very, very well um, to a point where it has seriously strained their, their infrastructure. Um, and so those, I guess, are good problems to have, but it, it's a problem nonetheless. Um, but I, we definitely have some, some things to celebrate here and to feel great about. And then, and then, oh, yeah, there was this fantastic bank that just came to town. Yeah, truest. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh huh. And it really is fantastic. I mean, you know, this, I'll, I'll just comment on that a minute. We've been here almost 200 years. It goes back to the charter of Bank of Louisville in 1832. So, so, so really the organization, we've been your friends and neighbors for generations. And we have evolved the bank to stay relevant. Important concept. Mm-hmm. Evolved the bank to stay relevant. And with the merger that created Truist, it was BB&T here in the market previously. Oh, Fine bank. And they had grown uh, for many years. And then they merged with a bank out of Atlanta called SunTrust and kind of doubled the size of that thing. And so now uh, you've got this organization that sees Louisville as a growth market. That's a good thing when other companies see your hometown as a growth market. Yes. Yeah. That's, well, a, that's a great thing. As someone who graduated college, moved to a bigger city, Atlanta, and then is now back. I mean, how you're working with businesses every day. Maybe this is a question for a local politician, but how do how does a city attract companies to come invest and create jobs here? Uh, that's a that's a fabulous question. You guys are you're you're so good. Um, Appreciate that. I was on the. Uh, Chamber of Commerce trip, they, the Glide trip this year. GLI, Greater Louisville Inc., our Chamber of Commerce here, takes a discovery trip to another city every year. And I got invited to participate this year. We went to Jacksonville. It was really insightful. Jacksonville's had some nice growth. And to your question, how do you do that? How do you attract that? There are a couple of things here that we learned on, on that trip. One in particular called local option sales tax which allows us basically to be self-determining in where and when and at what levels we can assess a sales tax for specific things that can help drive economic growth. Jacksonville shared a number of examples with us of where they've done this judiciously, and it's not about, you know, hey, we, let's tax everybody's brains out, and now we got all this money. Uh, if, you've, if you've studied the Laffer curve, you know that doesn't work. Um, but that is that is one option. But taxation is in our policy at, at both the local level and the state level uh, is very important. Kentucky is working to, I think, to re- step down their income tax rates 
based on certain criteria. I, I think it's pretty clear a lot of the Tennessee growth, Nashville certainly, but other parts of Tennessee, they don't have, they don't have a state income tax. I talked with a CFO. This is going to hurt. Some years ago, he went to high school and lived in Louisville as a young man. He, it was a billion-dollar f- filter company. They were, had been headquartered in Chicago. They were going to move out of Chicago. It was between Louisville, Nashville, and a few others. And I said to him, man, w- what about the home team? I mean, why, 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 didn't, you, why, didn't, why didn't you guys pick Louisville? What was, what, was, what was the issue? He said, John, simply moving my employees here gave them a 6% pay raise that didn't cost me a nickel. Okay, all right. I don't have to get the calculator out for that one. Yep. Yeah, I feel it. So, okay, so that's what we compete against. And and frankly, we compete against, you know, other things in the surrounding area. I just came back from a two-year stint in Indianapolis. Their downtown's got it going on, guys. Mm. I mean, they got Lucas Oil there. They got the Colts. They got the Pacers. They got the 500. We've got cool stuff too, right? We've got the Derby. We've got, you know, we've got the things we we do. But you can't stand still. Um, and so you know, we know we don't have pro sports here. Um, I'm not going to talk to you about the Louisville Cardinals right now. <laughs> mm. uh, That's tough. Yeah, let's just have a moment of silence for them. <laughs> oh you think gosh. Jacksonville would? be in a better situation if they had a better football team (laughs) (laughs) never hurts everybody loves a a winner (laughs) mostly just a joke but but seriously in thinking about how professional sports teams do affect a city i know in louisville's history we almost had an nba team that didn't go through and uh just i think with lynn stadium over there that's been really really good for downtown you've seen all these uh distilleries right here pop up 1020 as well as copper and kings and all these restaurants in this area have thrived essentially just because that stadium's been put there our 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 bourbon trail here is very unique and it's almost a phenomenon in my mind when i started my career dark spirits were verboten they were they were out of vogue man you know nobody wanted to drink that stuff and boy has that turned around um it was interesting when i was in indianapolis one of the it was a big company and their management team was going to take a retreat for a few days and they were coming to louisville because they wanted to stay in the boutique hotels and they wanted to do the bourbon trail and they wanted to be driven around in a limousine and and I guess somewhere in there they were, they were going to pretend to do some work. Um, so it, it's, it's an attractor. And interestingly, your friends at Truist Bank have a very innovative program we call a barrel finance program. Barrel finance program. If you think about the cash flow of I'm going to put juice in a barrel and then stick it in a rickhouse for seven years. Um, okay, well, how do you pay the bills and the people in the meantime? You talk to your buddies at Truist. That's how you do it. So we figured that out, and and we're having extraordinary success with that. And we're really at the epicenter of uh, this bourbon bonanza that's going on right now. 
Write that down. Bourbon Bonanza. <laughs> I got it locked up here. Tr- truest like triple it. play. Okay, I like that, it. those are your takeaways. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to be the title of the episode. I love it. <laughs> all right, that's awesome. Yeah, that's all. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, we got a couple blitz around questions. You guys want to get into? Yeah, start us off. All right, what book has had the biggest impact on you, or just your career as a whole? My Bible. It's the truth. That's where I learned how to treat people and figured out who I am, what I'm about, why I'm here, and where I'm going. And uh, I try to keep that at the center of everything I do. I've also picked up some cool management books along the way that have been influential. Um, Faith Popcorn, The Popcorn Report, where I learned the concept of twisting the familiar. Mm. You you take what is and, and you turn it a different way. You change the color. You stretch it. You add something to it. It was delightful because there you basically you can um, uh, thoughts are like Legos, concepts are like Legos. Unsnap yep. them, throw them in the middle of the table, put them back together in a different way. Add a wheel, add a steering wheel, put a little man on backwards. Whatever you want to do, <laughs> put a hard hat on him. Now, Love what's that. it look like? And 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 so that was really uh, very fresh for me, and Love it's that. helped guide my thinking. That uh, our, we have a huge whiteboards out there that feel like that's what we're doing when we just throw stuff up there. Okay, we'll take that idea, put it over here, add it to this one. So that That's cool. Um, one activity that helps you decompress. Eating pizza. <laughs> Go, where's the best in town? <laughs> hey, you know, we've really turned on to fire place, fire. There's a kind of build your own pizza place in, uh, in uh, Clarksville. Gotcha. Yeah, and I'm obviously uh, I can get you there. Not 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 great on the name at this point, but I, <laughs> but I know what I want to order. <laughs> All right, and then the last one we had was if business meetings had a walk up song, what would yours be? Time for me to fly. <laughs> I don't know that song. I don't know that song. Oreo Speedwagon. Time for me to fly. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to link it. We'll, oh, okay, we'll, we'll link it. I got in the it. I know that one. I know that one now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll play it. We'll play That's it. That's hilarious. I got it. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today, yeah, John. John. We really appreciate it, and we'll probably have you on for another podcast, just because I feel like willing. there's still so much more we could talk about. Yeah, but it's really been great. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, it's Cal here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the How to Business Show. If you would like to stay up to date with upcoming episodes and what we're doing behind the scenes, make sure to follow us on social media. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and our website, www.htbshow.com. Finally, if you have a story to share or some feedback for the show, feel free to contact us at htbs.com gillisanteam.com. Important links for today's episode can be found in the description. From all of us on the How To Business team, thank you for listening and see you next time.